You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. I'm your host Daniel Lee or follows by D-O-E-E. Wow, it's been a long time. When I looked the last like proper normal episode that wasn't a review was back in January of this year. So, you know what? I think I remember what, eight months now, pretty much not full eight months, but eight months since the last one. So, you know, I was feeling pretty good. Felt like I could maybe get back into things. We'll see how we go. No promises yet, but yeah, time to for another episode. So as the title is a big long break, which it has been today because you know that big long break, I thought I'd cover a few sort of bigger news stories in terms of releases. And then once they're done, We'll just do a bit of a catch up in what I've been up to in life, photography, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, know what I've been up to first off, because that's pretty much the main topic. So the news. So first off, the Sony have announced the FE16-35 F2.8 GM Mark II, which is a lens, well, the Mark I is a lens I actually previously own. So Sony's new 16-35, it's now 10% smaller and 20% lighter package. It has improved corner-to-corner sharpness, a minimum focus distance of 22 centimeters or 8.7 inches. It's got four XD, which is extreme dynamic linear motors, two per group. So that's your autofocus motors. It's composed of 15 elements in 12 groups. The lens has rings for zoom, focus, and aperture with a switch to move between smooth and clickable aperture. You know, that's usually more concernable for video people, but I guess sometimes, you know, even on still shooters, you may prefer the smoothness or you like hearing that click. It also has an iris lock switch to prevent accidental changes. And there are two also customizable focus hold buttons, which, you know, as the name says, they're customizable. You could add eye autofocus, change, you know, from electronic to manual shutter, whatever you want to program them to. It weighs 547 grams, has an 82 millimeter filter thread, and it will be available in September this month, not sure when, at the price of $2,299 US dollars. Now, I own the original lens, which was a phenomenal lens, too much of a lens for me. And when I say too much of a lens for me, you know, the price, as you can tell from the current price, I think it was around 2500 AUD when I bought it. And it was a great, great lens. You know, it's honestly, if you like to shoot wide a lot of the time, having that f2.8 aperture can really help. You can pretty much shoot anything you want with it, like a normal 35. Because 35 f2.8, it isn't super fast, like when it comes to stuff like portraits. But for, you know, you want to take photos of your food, which, you know, more than enough, 2.8, you know, you technically want to stop down even a bit more. But very basic shots of it, you could do with 2.8. You want to do astro, 2.8 is still not great, but it's better than, you know, like a fixed f4 lens, that kind of stuff. So this is a great option. You know, since I own the previous one, you may ask, and I have really bad gas, would I buy this one? Personally, no. I have the 16 the 35 f4. Although f4 is a lot slower, I am more than happy with that lens. I prefer to use a prime, you know, like my 35 f1.4 majority of the time. So this isn't sort of needed for me. This, you know, a 2.8 wide angle lens like this for me would just be a bit of a waste. I'm more than happy with f4 for my ultra wide angles. So for me, not, a, not something I would buy, but doesn't mean it's a bad lens. It's definitely a great lens. If you have a Mark 1, I, I honestly think it will be worth selling it and upgrading to this one as they do also claim, you know, improved corner-to-corner sharpness, 
smaller, lighter, should have better autofocus. It's no brainer, just get it. Next up, to continue on the Sony one, the Sony have also announced two new bodies along with that. The first one was the A7CR. So if you weren't familiar, you know, Sony shooter, Sony had their A7C previously, which was meant to be a compact line. It was a compact version of the A7 Mark III. This A7CR, it's pretty much just a compact version of the A7R5. It's got your 61 megapixel backside illuminated CMOS sensor, the Bionz XR processor and dedicated AI processing unit, which is important. That AI processing unit helps with subject recognition, you know, cars, insects, vehicles, humans, eyes, that kind of stuff, faces. It's meant to improve that and apparently it does actually make a difference. It's got lossless raw options in multiple sizes. So you don't have to shoot full 61 megapixels. You could probably do 61, I don't know, 28. Who knows what the, I don't know what the actual other ones are. I probably should look at. But, you know, you don't have to shoot at full size, which was always a common complaint when it came to the R bodies back in, you know, previous generations. It's eight frames per second continuous shooting, seven frames per second in each other mode, which for me, I don't know why it slows down. It should be, if anything, faster. You should be able to get more FPS in electronic shutter mode. It has pixel shift high resolution modes with motion correction, a single UHS-2 SD card slot, seven stop IBIS, and 1.03 million dot fully articulating rear screen. So pretty poor resolution to be honest, but at least it's fully articulating. Has a 2.6 million dot EVF with a zero point times magnification. Has 515 grams weight which is, you know, very light for a full frame body and available from late September at a recommended price of $2,995. It also, because it does cost more than the next one we're about to cover, it does come within a screw and grip extender that gives your hand a little more room to hold the camera. This is, you know, I remember even when the original A7C came out, people were sort of asking for this kind of camera. They wanted a uh, see a compact version of the R series. So now that this has finally come to fruition, I'm sure it's gonna sell really well. Price-wise AUD, it's actually more expensive than the R5. So I don't think, depending on the market, I don't think it will do as well. Although it is newer in some aspects, the fact that you know it's a single card slot, lower resolution uh, EVF, all lower resolution rear screen, that kind of stuff, it does make it inferior in some ways which is where I think it'll be hard for them to sell it for a higher price. I'm pretty sure the UK, my guess would be really badly priced there as well, like more expensive than the R5. I feel like both of us, Australia and UK, both get screwed in terms of pricing quite, you know, similarly. So who knows how that sort of actually works. But either way, you know, more options is good. And, you know, hopefully this isn't the first I don't think they need to do one for everything, like an A1C or an A, you know, that wouldn't even make sense, but an A7SC, that kind of stuff. And then next up is the one that I'm excited for, the A7C Mark II. So that one is pretty much an A7 Mark IV, just, you know, compact. It's got a free, 33 megapixel backside illuminated CMOS full frame sensor, the same Bionz XR processor and a dedicated AI processing engine, AF tracking with subject recognition, 759 AF points with a 94% coverage. That bit is a bit disappointing. I know most Canon bodies cover 100% coverage, which obviously 100% is better than 94. You cover pretty much frame corner to corner, top to bottom, much better. It has up to 10 frames per second shooting with autofocus, in-body stabilization rated up to 7 EV, exposure values. 
2.6 million dot OLED viewfinder with a 0.7 magnification as well. Uh, 1.03 million dot fully articulated touchscreen, 540 grams weight, and one UHS-2 SD card. It has no mechanical first curtain shutter, which I know for many would be a deal breaker. So many have people when they've tested have found that if you are say doing, you know, say shooting with an 8514 very middle of the day for some reason, you have a very fast shutter speed. Shooting over one one thousandth of a second with electronic first curtain shutter or full electronic, you know, shutter can actually affect the bokeh on the image, can cut it off and make it have a weird shape. Because of that, many people like a full manual shutter for those situations. For me, I personally don't care. I'm either in electronic first curtain shutter or I'm in full electronic shutter. I only use one of the two. I never ever use mechanical shutter. I've turned it on occasionally to see if I could see a difference, which to me, I didn't really notice a difference. Probably because I barely shoot over one one thousandth of a second. I tend to favor certain types of light where I wouldn't need that kind of fast shutter speed. So because of that, I never see the issue. This, I'm sure, is a deal breaker, you know, as I mentioned for some, but for me, it wouldn't be. And this will also be available this month, September 2023, for a bodily only price of $21.99 USD. Here in Australia, I know for a fact it's $32.99 AUD, mainly because, you know, I'm interested in getting it. So, which is very expensive. It's too expensive, to be honest. It's very similar to an A7 IV. Obviously, this one is actually a bit better than the A7 IV because it's got that AI processor engine. So the autofocus on this, from what I've read in and seen in reviews, it's actually better. But in saying that, from what I've noticed for Sony pricing here in Australia, launch price always way too high. Give it three months, it's already usually down by a few hundred AUD. Then if you go to six months, stretch it out to about six months, between three to six months, the prices can drop heaps. Like with the A7R Mark V, within three months, it would drop by $200 and then it dropped by total from the launch price, like $900 after six months. So you just need to be able to wait it out a bit. For people with bad gas like me that just want to own the camera straight away, it can be really hard, but I managed to do that previously this year, which we'll cover later on. The last piece of news we have is Sigma brings the 100 to 400 DGDN and 23mm f1.4 DCDN lenses to Fujifilm X-mount. So good news for Fuji shooters, kind of like myself for now anyway who, you know, are happy and want third-party lenses. So Sigma has announced these two additional lenses for Fujifilm's X-mount, a 23mm f1.4 from its DC-DN range. If you don't know, DC means APS-C lenses, so crop sensor. And it's 100-400 f5-6.3 to DG-DN OS from its mid-price contemporary range, DG being full frame. The 100-400 is already on E-mount for its full frame and acts as a 150-600 equivalent on the X-mount because they have a 1.5 crop factor. And with the usual caveats around depth of field, so a smaller, a wider depth of field, you don't get that same background separation on APS-C and total light gathering. It's constructed of 22 elements in 16 groups, one FLD and four SLD elements. It has optical stabilization, inner focus system, minimum focus distance of 1.12 meters or 44 inches. It has a stepping motor, nine bladed aperture, 67mm filter thread and a weight of 1135 grams, so 1.13 kilos. And the 23mm, meanwhile, is a native APS-C compact prime. So 23 is 23, which, you know, usually 1.5, it's usually around 35 millimeters on 
APS-C, the same field of view as a 35 on full frame. It has 13 elements in 10 groups, a minimum focusing distance of 25 centimeters or 9.84 inches. Its weight is only 340 grams and it has a 52 millimeter filter thread, so quite a small lens. There's also quite a few other 23mm options on Fuji. So you got the Viltrox 23mm and also the native Fuji 23mm f1.4 RLMWR. And there's a previous version as well. And they got the f2 lens. They got a lot of 23mm options, but I did own the that one on Fuji before and it was a great lens as well. And the Sigma 100 to 400 OS will retail for around 949 USD, while the 23mm f1.4 DCDN will cost around 549 USD, both available from the 21st of September. Now, if you shoot Fuji, when it comes to the 23mm, I feel like it's decent value. From what I remember for the reviews when it originally came out, it was good, but not didn't like blow the Fuji version or anything out of the water. It's a bit of a tricky one. I don't know if that one is as appealing. I know, you know, the 100 to 400 at that price point, it's very, very appealing especially compared to the Fuji option. I believe it's quite a bit older, quite a bit more expensive. So that will really sort of be competitive. You also have to give it up to Fuji, you know, them actually willing to work for, you know, let their users have those options, even though it's obviously going to be at the detriment of their own sales. That's pretty much it for that story. And continuing on, just, you know, while we're in the flow of it, they did also say, you know, like not also say Canon recently said, that they're willing and have had discussions with third parties about licensing up licensing their mount and opening up to third parties, but it's on a sort of case-by-case -case basis. So it was two ways you could sort of look at that. A, they want to make sure only high-quality third-party manufacturers get access, so pretty much your Sigma and your Tamron. Maybe Samyang. Well, Samyang have made pretty good lenses recently, so maybe like those two, maybe those three. Whereas the other way is you could look at it Maybe they only want to license the RF mount to the more cheaper third-party options. So that way, there'll be a big distinction. And then, you know, quality-wise, Canon will still be superior and it won't really affect their sales. Obviously, the former would be better, be more respectful, you know, respect, respectable if they went that approach. But everything is all speculation. Until we get an announcement, it's all speculation. Because at the end of the day, Sigma have, I mean, sorry, Sigma. Fuji allow third parties, Nikon allow third parties, Sony obviously allow third parties, Panasonic, pretty much everyone but Canon. And you know, if you look here, like that story, that's what reminds me of Sigma and you know, Fuji allowing Sigma to release a lens like that 100 to 400, which will make a big difference for its users, but will obviously possibly very likely hurt their sales as well. The other one was, it's a bit older now, Tamron are releasing a 70 to 180 Mark II lens of you know the 7180 f2.8 is going to have a mark ii version which has optical stabilization just some small improvements when i seen that i was you know not too tempted by it because i was already selling mine be before the price dropped i'll get more into that soon but you know that lens will undoubtedly be popular be a great option especially in comparison to the gm lens I'm not too sure of the pricing because i don't think it has an official announcement it's more of a development announcement but that's another good story but Otherwise, that's it for the news. We're on to the main topic. Okay, so now with the main topic of what I've been up to for the past, how many, like eight months now? Yeah, eight months now. So a long time since the last episode. And I thought I'd split it up into a few different areas just to make it a bit easy. So life, gear, and photography. So for the first one, life. I don't know how much I said back when I was recording before I took my break, just a bit stressed. 
life was sort of getting in the way, that kind of stuff. That's why I wanted to stop, you know, just to focus on my mental health, all that kind of stuff. Since that time, I actually changed jobs. I'm working in a new company and I'm much happier here where I am now. Much better job, much better support, much better everything. I'm really enjoying the job. So obviously that is a good thing. In saying that, obviously I'm not stress-free because there's always stress in life, sadly. I feel like the older you get sometimes, the more you stress about stuff and the more you have to stress about, you know, people say, oh, there's nothing that bad about getting older. But in reality, I feel like it's worse. You know, once you hit, say, 30 or something, you have to worry about your health because usually under 30, your chances of having health issues are a lot lower. And it just feels like you're kind of not invincible, but invincible in a way. Eat what you want, sleep as late as you want, nothing happens. But as soon as you hit 30, if you don't take care of yourself, that's where the problem comes. I've still been exercising an absolute ton. Not a ton, but you know, every morning I wake up 5.45 a.m. in the gym, like a building gym by 6 a.m. or at the park by 6, maybe 6.10 kind of thing. And I just, you know, do about 35, 40, about 40 to 50 minutes sometimes of working out do my work, come up, shower, breakfast, that kind of stuff, do my, you know, required work hours. And then when I'm done, I go back down to the gym and do another, you know, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minute workout kind of thing. It really helps to me. It helps manage stress, helps keep me healthy, trying to lose all my fat as well. I'm not young anymore. You know, the more fat I am, the more unhealthy it is. People always look at me and think I'm not fat, but I'm more like skinny fat in a way. So I'm trying to get out of that, trying to get just, you know, not skinny but you know slim tone that kind of stuff so getting closer and closer to that goal but it's tough you know the less body fat you have the harder it gets ideally i want to get down to about 12 percent. i think i'm under 20 now but i'm still not close to where I, my personal preference and goal is so gonna keep grinding on that part so next up um i went to japan in march it was kind of like a honeymoon trip and then i also went to new zealand in june as a one-year anniversary trip so a lot of traveling and I, I need to stop now and save. I plan to do a podcast episode on what photography was like in Japan and New Zealand, but that's taking some time. More on that later, why it's taking so long, but I will do a podcast on each. Had so much fun. In terms of just non-photography aspect of going to Japan, I love the food there. I'm a pretty fussy eater here. I mostly just eat Japanese food like teriyaki, like chicken katsu or not chicken katsu, like a chicken uh, don, that kind of stuff, you know, just rice and teriyaki chicken kind of stuff. Or chicken donburi would be the best way to put it. And then, you know, I eat obviously pizza, steak. When I went to Japan, I had a thing called gyukatsu, so beef katsu. So if you know what katsu is, like, you know, you probably see chicken katsu or tonkatsu, like the pork one, just crumbed chicken, crumbed pork. This one's crumbed beef and they cook it on this little hot grill. Well, you technically cook it yourself on the hot grill. I was addicted. Out of 14 days there, I had it seven times. So, oh man, it was it was so good. I actually really can't wait to go back to Japan just so I can eat gyukatsu again. Not to mention the camera gear. The camera stuff there is insane. So yeah, that's we'll say that that can be easily a whole podcast. Otherwise, um, yeah, one year wedding anniversary. Me and my wife made it to one year. So yay. And um, we went to New Zealand for that one. We went to Queenstown because we'd never been before. And at one stage, we were thinking of getting married having our wedding in Queenstown. So it was kind of cool to go to that place where we originally thought we were going to have the wedding, see what it was like. Weather-wise, I obviously much prefer New Zealand. I like the cold better. So that would have been way better to have the wedding there in terms of weather. But, you know, because of cold. In Bali, I was sweating like crazy. But in terms of, you know, actual location, I think Bali was a bit nicer than that. 
view-wise, even though it was like just ocean pretty much. Either way, it was really nice. And then I can't remember what month it was. Several months ago now, pretty much near the start of winter, I had some news relating to something and it was quite stressful news. And then, for, you know, some people, different people deal with stress differently. You get some people who are just super angry and then like will let it out a lot easier to yell, aggressive, you know, abuse their partner or something. I'm thankfully not that type of person. I don't know if it's a good thing, but I'm not that type of person. I'm the more the type to bottle it in. Bottling it in is bad, in my opinion, mainly because A, you know, it just builds up till eventually, <laughs> eventually you snap and you go crazy. Or B, you know, like it just comes out some other way, which is usually health wise, which it happened to me. So that day I got the bad news. It was maybe around lunchtime. By the afternoon, I couldn't figure out why my eyes were so like fuzzy. And I thought I was just tired, you know, stressful day, tired. The next day when I wake up, I couldn't see properly. So one of my eyes, my dominant eye, my right eye was actually a bit blurry and it had like, I could see a circle. Every time I blink, for example, I would see a black circle. And I couldn't figure out what it was exactly. I thought I was losing my mind. So, you know, anything with a vision is kind of scary. So I booked in to see, first I tried to ignore it, to be honest. My wife and all her mom and that were like, you have to see an optometrist. So I went to see one and I had this thing. I can't remember the exact name of it. It's called CSR. It's pretty much liquid. Due to the stress, I had liquid in my retina. So every time when I blinked or whatever, even when I blinked, you know, that black dot would stay there. That was a liquid. I could actually see the liquid in my eye. So that was what the issue was. That stayed for like at least two months, a month or two. So during that time, it was hard enough to like see properly, let alone to take cameras, especially with my take take photos, especially with my dominant eye. So because of that eye issue, I wasn't able to shoot much. So thankfully, my eye is 100% now managed to get past that little bit of stress. You know, that sort of made me do something else. Once I'm ready to talk about what it made me do, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a little project I started because of that. So I'll be excited to talk about that once it's complete. I hate people who do that. It's nothing related to photography. It's more my own personal stuff. So, you know, it's nothing to do that. I'm pretty much just trying to start kind of like a business sort of thing. But uh, more info on that once it's actually up and running because I don't like saying something because it doesn't happen and then you look like a fool. So that's my main reason for not saying it. For me, not trying to build hype because only 10 people probably listen to this podcast anyway. So it's not like it's going to be a big deal. It's more just me not wanting to jinx myself. Otherwise, let's get on the next topic, which would be gear. My gear has changed quite a bit. So at the start of the year, I was shooting Sony and Fuji. I had my XS10, my XF33mm, and a whole bunch of Sony lenses. So first thing first, I think it was around April or May, they announced the XS20 was coming out. So me being me, of course, I sold my XS10 because a new version is coming out. That means the value is going to drop on my XS10. So the best thing to do is sell it. Even if I didn't you know, wasn't too sure about upgrading, I sold it anyway, just because I didn't want to lose money. In a way, I'm not usually the sentimental type for my camera gear, but I was kind of sentimental towards my XS10 at first, because I thought, you know, on my wedding, my actual wedding day, technically, because we had two wedding days, sec first wedding day was when we legally got married here in Australia. We recorded that in our house, and my R6 was doing stills, and my Fuji XS10 was recording video, because I found the XS10 wasn't as good at autofocus compared to the R6. So I would rather just use that for video. I just set the, you know, focus manual, manual focus, set it on the spot where we'd be standing and recorded. And it did an amazing job. Video quality was so good. 
whereas the R6 could do both really well. So I just put that on steals and had my sister-in-law controlling it. And then, you know, I got sentimental thinking, oh, we, I recorded my wedding on that. Maybe I don't want to sell it. But I thought about it. I recorded, technically, I took photos of my wedding on my R6 and I got rid of that like there was no tomorrow. So what's the point, you know? So then I sold it. And then I ended up buying because it was very cheap because I had some spare money because of that. The Sigma 105mm f2.8 macro. Because as much as I liked using the Tamron 70 to 180 for product photography, it just wasn't a macro lens. I hope those sirens don't... If you can hear it, I apologize. There's sirens in the background. But with the macro, you know, a macro is very, very versatile. It can do normal, say, full whip shots of a person, full width of a product, or it can do super close up because it is a macro. The 70 to 180 could do close up, but only a manual focus, and it had to be at 70 millimeters. So it was a bit tricky in that regard. And aside from that, I hadn't used it that much because I didn't have that much of an application for it. If you are the type that are used to shooting with a 7200 or any of that kind of stuff, you could probably find heaps of uses for it because it is an amazing lens. When I was in New Zealand, I actually used it quite a bit and all the images I got from it, I was really, really happy with. They're honestly excellent images and the lens didn't fail me at all. It's just, I felt like I didn't have the use for it. Traveling, it's an amazing lens, but for the value of it, I just couldn't keep it around just to be sitting there, only be using as travel. In the future, if I want something like that, I think I would probably be more inclined to go for like a 70 to 300 because they do cheap ones for Tamron in the email. That lens is a bit older now. I feel like there will be a G2 of that in the not too distant future. And because I you know, don't really need it, I wouldn't bother buying either. Otherwise, um, you know, I sold, I, after buying that macro, Sigma macro, which I won't get into too much detail, but let's just say it's, I prefer it. I owned a 90 millimeter macro before from Sony. Even though that's a G lens, I hated that lens. The bokeh shapes on that wide open were just very weird. This Sigma, I love it. The sharpness, the bokeh, the everything is so good about it. So I decided that one's the one I'm going for. So I sold the 7180 also because they announced the new version. So I had to save money. Then because of all this gear I sold, I ended up buying an XS20, which funny enough, I am now selling. So this is the shortest I've ever owned a camera is the XS20. So there won't be a review for it, no written post. I haven't owned it long enough to be able to use it to review it. I haven't even shot with it enough to be able to use enough to review it. Probably less than 100 actuations on the shutter. Probably way less than that too because I shoot in auto, uh, sorry, electronic shutter only, not in manual. Now the camera itself, it's a really great camera. If I was to say commit to one system and I wanted to go super light and I didn't mind using APS-C, I could easily just stick to this camera. I could go... Tamron 11 to 20 f 2.8, my 33 millimeter, and then like the Sigma 56 or the Viltrox, you know, 75 millimeter f 1.2, and I'd be set. I could easily get away with just using that. The thing that would stop me though is I don't really like the macro options on Fuji. If, say, for example, Sigma did bring their 105 millimeter f 2.8 macro to Fuji, that would be very, very big. But at the same time, you know, each body needs to do so. Each body or each lens, in my opinion, has to have some kind of value and purpose. For me, the main purpose of using the Fuji over my, say, A74, 35mm or whatever, was that it was smaller and it was lighter. It was technically more portable. Now, when you think about the portability, that is the main factor for me. So the more I looked into it, then I, you know, with the announcement of A7C2, as I mentioned earlier in the show, let's see, the A7C2 
weighs 500 where is it? I can't I've lost the weight now 540 grams now that is actually very very similar to the XS10 I think the XS10 is just a I mean XS20 sorry it's just a little bit lighter and the 33 millimeter is actually fairly because it's an f1.4 lens it's around 400 grams or something like that either way when I compared it if I compare using the XS20 plus the 33 millimeter f1.4 to using an a7c2 with a sigma 50 millimeter f2 lens which just came out earlier this year is only seven grams heavier than the fuji setup so that's already very light but i'm getting better honestly better af i'm getting better high iso performance because it's full frame you know better background separation and in terms of you know using a 50 f2 on full frame versus a 35 33 millimeter f 1.4 on APS-C, it will look very, very similar. The amount of background separation will be similar. Everything will be very similar. So I'm technically getting the same thing, but the main difference is that A7C2, I'll be able to use with all my other lenses. So if I want to travel, I could literally just carry my 16 to 35 F4, 50 F2, and I don't know, maybe my 85.14, or I could even get another something very light you know, a 90 millimeter f2.8 from Sigma as well. So I got something on the long end as well. So pretty much because of similar weight, it'll let me use my Sony gear more because when I didn't have the Fuji, obviously if I wanted to carry a body around, I was carrying around the a7 IV and the 35GM. And the more I use it, the more I love it. And I just want to make the most of my Sony gear, but I want something light and portable at the same time, which is where this comes in. So having that just makes me utilize what gear I already have more in a sense, aside from this new body I'm going to buy. But, you know, let me use the Sony gear more, appreciate it more. And it just seems like the better option for me. It's not a knock against the Fuji. It's an amazing body, better than the XS10. I love it, but it's more just, I know I can get better value out of my existing gear by using just another full frame body, which is the A7C2. And I've always wanted two full frame bodies. So in a way, it's like a dream for me. So that's it. I'm going to sell it. I've already listed on here in Australia. We use like lots of different sites. I listed on eBay, on Gumtree, on Facebook Marketplace. Even though I hate Facebook, I have started to use it. Well, not even use it. I have an account just because I need it later on for ads, that kind of stuff for something I'm doing. But yeah, otherwise, hopefully, wish me luck. Hopefully, I can sell it soon. And then if I do, you best believe you're going to be getting a Sony A7C2 review. The 50mm F2, I don't know how soon I'm going to buy it. Probably maybe closer towards the end of the year. Even the A7C2, I'm going to wait for those prices to go down before I buy it. Probably at the earliest, I'm hoping end of the year, I have a sort of set price I want to pay for it. Then once it drops maybe below 2K AUD, that's when I'll start looking into it. And below, below 3K AUD, I'm sorry. Below 2K AUD won't even happen since the US price is already higher than that. And then the last category is my photography. So in a way, I've taken a lot of photos this year, but I haven't at the same time. So when I was in Japan, I took about 3,000 images. No joke. I had to buy another SD card there. So I had two, I, I brought two 32 gig cards. Usually, I don't even fill one when I travel, no matter how long I'm gone for. Not even one. This time, first few days I, in Tokyo, first round in Tokyo, I think I had already filled one card. Half, not even the full week. Because of that, I bought another 32 gig card. And then before I even got to that, I filled that up. And so then I pretty much bought another card and I started doing that. So yeah, just keep going, keep going. And I end up 3000 images. So majority of the year has been me trying 
to just catch up on all my editing, which obviously hasn't been too easy. And then obviously with my eye issue, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't edit, which means for two months, I pretty much didn't touch my camera, didn't do anything. So it's been all just catching up. I am slowly getting back into it, trying hard and hard as I can. But when you live a boring life like me, it's not easy. So because, you know, I do the same things every day. I go to the same places to eat. I don't like going out. I love being at home. But at the same time, I'm bored in my surroundings in a sense. So it's hard for me to come up with something creative to take photos of. That'll hopefully change soon. Trying my best. But, you know, everything is a journey for all of us. So that's pretty much it for the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I did have fun recording it again. As you can tell, I'm probably not as used to talking as much as I used to be. So, But hopefully that'll change and I'll get better again and get back into the habit of it. Can waffle on a bit more while still sounding good. But otherwise... Um, it's on Spotify now, so it used, as you probably know, you may have already listened on Spotify, but before I was hosting it somewhere else, now it's hosted on Spotify. In the future, I may add ads, I'm not too sure. Depends if Spotify supports that for Australia, I don't think it's currently available in Australia, but we'll see how we go. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening, make sure to subscribe, all the, sh- all the links, everything in the show notes. If you'd like to see my photography, links are in the show notes, photos by dlwe.com, photos by dlwe on Twitter, use Reddit flicker pretty much everything so yeah thank you very much for listening good to be back hopefully again in another two weeks but we'll see how we go no promises and enjoy everything